So with that, our missionary of the week uh, are the Howards in Japan. So we're going to pray for them, and we'll look at our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for the missionaries that we are partnered with. Uh, We do pray uh, for Ben and Beth and Bradley, uh, who are in Japan. I, I think we're right around the the three-year anniversary of Ben's being called to be the senior pastor there. And so we, uh, we just lift them up to you today, Lord, in this, uh, this season of, of COVID. Uh, it's something that's, that's affected churches around the world, and, and it's, it's not something that uh, seminary prepared leaders and pastors <laughs> to, uh, to navigate. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would have your hand upon uh, Yokohama International Baptist Church and and Ben and his leading Lord, I just thank you for all that you're uh, doing there in Japan uh, through them. And Father, as we turn our attention to the passage at hand today, we ask Lord that you would uh, just bless our time with one another as we uh, look at this section of Galatians, Lord, the fruit of the spirit and and really the deeds of the flesh and. Uh, we pray, Father, that through this you would uh, convict us, Lord, that you would lead us, uh, that you would help us to um, just uh, to have the grace to be able to live our lives in, in liberty, uh, really um, being led by the Spirit, that he would guide us, that he would shape us, that he would uh, inform our decisions as we go about our day. We ask, Lord, that you would help us uh, to truly uh, crucify our flesh and and to honor you in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, help us to understand what is said here, and help us to apply it to our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so 
We've been working through Galatians chapter 5. It begins in verse 1 that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Uh, Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So the Apostle Paul has been making his case uh, really all the way through Galatians that the believer has been set free in Christ. It's not by works. It's not by religion. It's by God's grace that he has um, justified us, that he has redeemed us, that in faith in Christ, not on our works, uh, that we've been moved from death to life. And as he makes his case through uh, chapter 5 on this freedom, uh, really, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't know if dangerous is the right word. It's, it's, a, it's a concept that can be difficult for us if we examine it out because grace means grace. And, and if grace is that, then that means that it can be abused. And it's mind-boggling to us if, if we really play this out, that God would still love us even in our imperfection and our sinfulness and our, and our failures. And so he makes this huge case for grace, for liberty, um, that in Christ you've been set free. Your salvation is not based upon your works, and it's not conditional upon your works. It's literally because of what Christ did for us on the cross and then in verse 13, he lays out this, you know, that fine line, the, the balancing act, the struggle that we find ourselves in as Christians. In Galatians 5.13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so this, this tension of liberty on, on one side of, of liberty, you have legalism, where it turns into a system of rules and do's and don'ts and a, and a merits-based system where we create sort of this list of do's and don'ts, and we think if we do this system of do's and don'ts, then God will love us and he'll continue to love us. And if we miss these marks, then God loves us less, and we need to do these things in order to like, fix our position before God. And that's what these Judaizers were telling the believers in Galatia, that if they wanted to be right with God, they had to be circumcised, they had to obey the Mosaic law. Now, on the other side of the coin, or the other extreme of the tension and liberty, is license. That if Jesus died for me, and his grace is abundant, then it doesn't really matter how I live my life. We can go hog wild and sin and go do this. And Paul's saying, don't use your freedom in this way. Don't abuse your freedom. And so this tension between living our lives in liberty without stumbling into legalism or license is like, how do we do this? Like, how do we accomplish this? So this is a, this is a, a great question, and I believe it's the question that Paul is addressing today. And so he says in verse 16, Uh, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so this, but I say, it follows the heels of verse 15, where uh, if you were to go a certain direction and not love one another, you're going to turn on each other. There's going to be factions and fighting. And uh, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And he's saying, but I say, in contrast to living for yourself, to live for one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so this is the command. This is the, the, the picture. Really, verse 16 is the essence of this whole section that if we walk by the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So if you do the one, you won't do the other. Uh, this word to gratify the desires of the flesh is the word teleos. Uh, you might recognize this Greek word. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. It's the same word. And so it means the idea of, of carrying something out uh, into fruition to make it happen. So to, to have the desires of the flesh within you as a human, it's something that as a Christian we still have. And Paul's going to expand but if we walk by the Spirit or to live our lives according to the Spirit, that side will be quenched or reduced, and we won't fulfill it. And so this is the, the thrust of today's passage. If we walk by the Spirit, we will carry out uh, this, this balance, this tension of, of liberty, of, of living between, uh, I almost said license over here, but license is over here. So license and legalism, that we can find the balance. And he says, for the desires of the flesh, verse 17, are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And he begins to explain that as followers of Christ, we have two roommates within us that hate each other. It's almost the picture of, uh, of, of fighters. I think of, uh, I'm, not, you know, I'm not really a big fan of MMA and all of the fighting, but I understand it's there. But, but I'm aware of the things that happen with MMA. And, and in this sort of description, I kind of am imagining the night before the fight when they have the weigh-ins and the two dudes come out. And I guess there's ladies as well, you know. It just seems so weird to call an MMA lady fighter a lady, you know, like it's, I would not want to find them in an alley against, you know, I mean, like stay clear. I've seen what they can do to each other. But they like, you know, they go kind of toe to toe each other when they put their hands up and it's like, they're filled with venom. And it, or at least it looks that way. I don't know if they really hate each other. They're probably out drinking beers. Like when they're not fighting in the ring, they are probably actually really close. But when they like square up at the way in, it's like they're going to kill each other. And sometimes they have the big show where they kind of scrap at each other and they're kind of breaking them up and say, ah, hold, hold off. And so as we, we enter into this section, it's like Paul is announcing. In the one corner, we have the, the flesh. And it's going to give all the stats. He's going to say the, the flesh is weighing in at this amount. And, and on the other side, we have the spirit. And the, the spirit weighs in and gives all the, the stats and the data. But for right now... What he says is, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. These are, it's like a magnet when you have them, the, the, the polarization going opposite of one another, that you just, they hate each other. They, they are opposed to one another. And it says, these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, and my, I didn't have a clear line in the sand. I know that somewhere between 1996 and 1999, I became a Christian. And during that window, I think I became a Christian in 96, and during that window, 
of trying to be a Christian, but I was still very much in the world. When I was doing worldly things, there, there was just a horrible feeling within me that I didn't understand. In hindsight, I could, I could tell you that it was the Holy Spirit convicting me of not living that, that life anymore. And, and, and the, the tension was real. And so often in this passage, people look at this and they go, oh, this is to shake them of their assurance. Or if you have that bad feeling of guilt and conviction of your sin, we think, oh, man, I'm not okay with God. It's actually, I think, a beautiful thing because it's evidence that the Spirit of God is within you, convicting you. Before I was a Christian, I could go do whatever I wanted. and There was no, like, I was okay. And, and then it was like I became a Christian, and suddenly when I went to the bars and I was hanging out with my buddies, I'd drink a couple beers, and i go, like, I'm not feeling this isn't great, and maybe I need to drink a couple more. And I'd drink a couple more to try to get over the hump, and then it just made me feel all the more worse. I didn't know what was going on with me. It was actually a spiritual matter that was happening within me. I had these two roommates that were disgusted with one another and hated each other, and my body was their, their room that they were living in. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, really verse, Romans chapter 6, he discusses sort of a life of license uh, apart from religion. And so the whole of chapter 6 He's defining this tension of of living your life according to license. You get into chapter 7, and I think he then takes the other end of the spectrum, which is actually over here in my illustration, is the life of legalism. And I believe that this is what the Apostle Paul struggled with. Paul didn't struggle with license. He he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew of a Jew. He was was on the, the, the cutting edge pipeline to be the leader of the Sanhedrin. So when he stumbled away from his liberty, what he stumbled into was legalism and religion and a system of do's and don'ts, merit-based sort of position being before God. And at the end of chapter 7, he writes this, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He recognizes the things that he wants to do. Those aren't the things that he he actually does. And the things that he says, I don't want to do this anymore, those are the things that come so naturally to him. And this is the Apostle Paul who's writing the Bible with great humility that we as Christians, we should be able to be transparent and say, you know what, I really, I do identify with Paul. My sinful nature is so strong and there's desires that I'm trying to master and the flesh, it's just difficult. I'm struggling with it and I, I fall into the same cycle. I think it's good for us to be around one another so that we can be transparent and open and have accountability and say, you know what, I'm really struggling in this area. Douglas Moo on this says, Christians should not think that they have the choice to do, quote unquote, whatever they want. Whether conscious of it or not, their actions at every point are governed by either the flesh or the spirit. And so if you 
have given your life to Christ, the reality is, is that you have these two fighters within you. You have your flesh and you have the spirit. We need to train the one and we need to kill the other or crucify the other, which is killing according to the passage. And he goes on to say in verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, In the Greek, there's conditional phrases that we get in the the if. Like we have if statements. Our our if is truly a a conditional statement. So we read this in the English, and it comes across as like, if you are led by the Spirit, which means that you might not be able to be led, you're you're not subjecting your life to being led by the Spirit. Um, In the Greek, there's five different classes. So it can be if and you are. Sometimes the Bibles translate this as using the word since, since you are led by the Spirit. Um, Some are truly conditional, like if, and we don't know if you are. And then there's if and you're not. Um, And then there's a couple more that my brain is blanking on. But this is the positive. When he writes this to these believers, he's speaking in the affirmative. He's encouraging them. He says, but if you are, and, and you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So from verse 16, he goes from living by the Spirit, so live your life according to the Spirit, to now being led by the Spirit. He says, you're no longer under the Mosaic law. Again, we're not talking about California penal code, you know, fill in the blank, or our federal laws. He's speaking about the Mosaic law, the religious structure that was set up um, by, by Moses that the Judaizers were trying to bring these Galatian believers under that authority. And he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He goes on to say in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. This is in the right corner we have the flesh weighing in at 225 pounds, 6'5", 3 well, let's no. See, I really should have written this down. Twenty-five knockouts, twelve technical knockouts, and been defeated, you know, seven times. He's laying out the stats of this 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 roommate that you have within you. The works of the flesh. Some translations might call this the deeds of the flesh, and he lists sexual immorality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The things that he describes are are obvious. We could do an in-depth word study on each word. We would be here for a couple weeks. And so I'm just going to take it that you guys can look at this list and see it and understand it and identify with it. Uh, A key phrase that I would like to point out is the very last three words, things like these. This list that he names of the flesh is not an exhaustive list. Uh, These are a la carte items, and you can add to them. Um, There's a whole bunch of things. And as followers of Christ, we shouldn't look at this list with our noses up high and say, I don't identify with any of these things. I, 
Uh, maybe way long ago I struggled with some of this stuff. This isn't what he's going for with us. Paul is writing to the Christian. He wants us to be transparent, to own this, and to say, you know what? The struggle with these things is real. I know that that roommate, that warrior within me, the desires of my flesh and my nature, and I struggle in these things, and they're strong and they're powerful. The reality is, is we're saved sinners, not sinless saints. And so as Christians, we need to recognize how powerful the flesh is and the struggle. And he says, I, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a sobering verse. If we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with our nature, our thoughts, uh, the desires of our hearts, maybe we have some restraint and we've been able to, you know, from 20 years ago, your, your sins look a little bit different, but you still have different sort of sins. They might be more covered up today than they were 20 years ago. We come to these passages that say, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, just last week, I think it was, or maybe two weeks ago, I think it was last week that we looked at the carnal Christian in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we, we see that within the New Testament, there are those who are actually saved, who are living their lives according to the flesh, And Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the individual who, like, when he stands before his creator and he goes before the fire, everything will burn away, but yet he'll make it through the fire saved with nothing to show for it. And I made the case in the last two weeks that that I stand behind and I 100% believe in the assurance of salvation that if you have given your life to Christ, that you're secure in him. But then we come to these verses, not just here, there there are other ones that say that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we can make the case that this is a lifestyle, it's this ongoing repeated action We could do that to try to soften this, but when I look at these verses and in my own life, where I come to is deep gratitude for these verses. Um, These verses are like God's grace towards us. While I believe 100% in the assurance of salvation in Christ, I don't think that if we as Christians are living our lives in the flesh, I don't think that we find assurance there. Um, I think back in my own life, I talk about that window between 1996. I could probably even back up it even a little bit earlier. Like if I'm trying to dissect my history, I might have actually become a Christian in boot camp, but I'm not 100% sure. I got to wait till I get to heaven to figure out when the transaction actually happened. 
I know that by 2000, I was. Like, I, I know that. So somewhere in this, like, seven-year window, I believe probably around 96 is when I'm pretty comfortable that I actually was a, a believer. Um, but it really took until, like, 2000 where I was walking strong. I would stumble across these type of verses that those who do such things, and I was doing such things as a follower of Christ, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it would like just get, it would really bring instability in my heart. Um, I had to really grapple with, like, I'm doing these things in my life. Am I truly, have I truly given my life to Christ? In the moment, it was some real soul searching and, and brought me to my knees before God trying to grapple through these things. And as I look back in hindsight, I, I just thank God for these, like, verses of terror that, that, forced me to my knees to really consider, like, is Jesus really Lord of my life? And if he's Lord of my life, then why does my life look like this? Why am I doing these things? And when I look back now and where I stand today, when I look at this verse, I've come to understand that there is nothing more dangerous or devastating than to assure somebody of their salvation that they don't actually have. And so if you're a carnal Christian and you come across these verses, you're not going to have assurance. Or you might think that you're a Christian and you're not actually a Christian and you come across these verses and these are the things that cause us to stop and to pause and to evaluate, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Jesus told us in John chapter 16, at the Lord's Supper is the setting. They're, they're sitting there. Jesus is about to be taken into to custody. He's about to go to the cross. And he says to his disciples, and he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the, this is a horrible feeling. My, my prayer is that you would have experienced the conviction of God for your sin because it's miserable. It's miserable, not for the sake of misery, but it's something that grabs hold of our life when he shakes you and says, look at how you're living. Is Jesus really your Lord? Are you really living? Have you really surrendered your life? And if you have, why does your life still look like this? And if you're not a believer, it forces you to your knees in repentance and receiving of the, the gift of grace that he has provided for us. And if you have received this gift and you're still living your lives like this and you're living your life in, in a way of license, it shakes you to your core where, where grace, sort of the understanding of grace explodes and, and you realize how much God loves you and how much you desire to like want to actually live for him to find this line in the sand. It's huge. Then he goes on, but the fruit of the Spirit in the other corner weighing in at however many pounds. The fruit of the Spirit is, this is the first thing I need to point out to you all. 
If you go up to verse 19, when we read, now the works of the flesh, the word we see is are. Uh, this is a, a, a small technical observation that is actually a huge observation in the two. Um, the, the works of the flesh are plural. These are individual items. Think, I almost said, I don't have a moment of silence for supplantation. It's one of the things that I'm devastated over in the COVID is that supplantation went away. But if we remember back to those golden days of when supplantation existed, and there was the buffet line, and you could pick and choose whatever you wanted, when we look at the deeds of the flesh or the works of the flesh, each one of those individual items in, in, in the, the walkthrough line that you could pick and choose from, that's the deeds of the flesh. They're, they're all a cart. You can choose whatever one you have. You can have one, and it's the deeds of the flesh. They're multiple. When we come to the fruit of the Spirit, we have the word is. And the word is is singular. And so when we look at the list of the, Holy, the, the fruit of the Spirit, it's confusing for us because the word fruit in the English is a word that can be plural or singular. So when I say, hey, Gunner, can you pick up some fruit at Sprouts? That could mean pick up a whole bunch of fruit. Or that could mean, hey, pick up bananas. And so when we look at it here, it's, it's important. Maybe it's not super important, but I think it's important. This was like a, a it, it, to me, it's important. The fruit of the Spirit is. And so when these nine items are listed, this is not a buffet line of like, as you grow in your Christian life and the Spirit begins to work, you start seeing like nine different fruit trees popping up. This is, this is one fruit that is described with these different characteristics about it. It's not nine different things. And so the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It doesn't go on to say, and things like these. It lists these nine items specifically and collectively together. And then he says, against such things, there is no law. When I've traveled the world and I look at the deeds of the flesh, many of these things are illegal. Like if you take them to the the fulfillment, the deeds of the flesh are illegal in just about every single jurisdiction that you go to around the world. When I look at the fruit of the Spirit, when I see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are more like inward characteristics that I don't think I've seen any of these items being forbidden in any country anywhere. You arrive into Singapore, you can't chew gum or spit. I struggled with that one. But I never saw a sign, there'll be no loving each other here. There will be no having patience with one another here. Self-control is totally forbidden. Well, maybe Vegas. I don't know. Like that's a, I'm trying to think through these. And so we have the fruit that takes place within us. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit who is a he, not an it. He resides with us, and his fruit manifests itself in this way. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It very much reminds me of what Jesus says on the sermon, not the Sermon on the Mount, but in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil out of his evil, out of his evil treasures, treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of, a, of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so if we have a life that's surrendered to, yielded by, that we are walking after the Spirit, that we're being led by the Spirit, the Spirit within us will grow, his fruit will begin to manifest itself in our lives, and we see this as inward transformation And then the external things in our life actually reflect the goodness of God that's within us. But if we are allowing our flesh to rule and to reign and we're excusing ourselves, like, well, I'm just, that's just who I am. You got to let me rip. And I'm just going to, and the things that we see, well, Jesus says, no, you're letting your carne have control. And what we're called to as Christians is to have lives that are yielded to the Holy Spirit where his fruit manifests itself. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When I see this, this is reaching the end of our rope, reaching that place in our lives where we said, I've tried to do it my way for so long and it's not working out. I need intervention from the outside. I need God to help me. I need God to transform me. I need God's spirit to be planted deep within my heart so that his fruit would manifest itself in my life, that he would take control. This is the picture of baptism. We're having a baptism in a couple weeks, and this is what baptism is. This is, this is the public display of saying, you know what, I've come to the end of my rope. I've given my life to Jesus, and I'm making this this line in the sand, and I'm stepping over it by being baptized so that the world can see that I've crucified my flesh with Christ. And coming up from the water, it's newness of life, and declaring to the world that, no, I have these two roommates within me. I've decided to give my life to Jesus, and I want to live my life according to his spirit. It reminds me of Peter at the end of John chapter 6. This is where Jesus is teaching some really difficult things. And in the things that he says, the crowd basically, they slowly start leaving. And everybody has left, except for the 12. And Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away, go away as well? We love making fun of Peter for his answers, so often sticking his foot in his mouth. But here, Peter says the most powerful thing that hopefully you identify with, that you have reached this place in your life. When Peter looks at the options around him and the, the potential of where he can go and what he can do and the choice to follow after Jesus, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He said, there's, where, there's nowhere else to go. I've died to myself. I'm deciding to follow after you. Colossians is the next book that we're going to do. And in Colossians chapter 3, we see this, this same picture. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And so he identifies again the deeds of the flesh. He says, crucify these things. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on the things above. Walk after him. And as you keep your eyes on him, these things will fall away. In verse 25, he says it again, if or since, I think the NIV translates it since, which is, I think, a better translation of this. If we live by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It could say live um, in verse 16, or walk, excuse me, but I, in verse 1 it says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's one Greek word for living your life a certain way. When we come to the second one, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. This keep in step is a different Greek word that has a military connotation. That's why I have the picture. Some of you guys are like, why in the world does Gunner have Marines up there? You know, like I'm always making fun of Marines. We don't have Navy boot camp anymore in San Diego. And so sometimes if you're downtown, like around like when Marines graduate, you'll, they get their like weekend Liberty Pass and you'll see them around town in, in a group. They're always really easy to spot. They always have their dog tags on. They have their haircuts. But like, even if they were wearing wigs and they took off their dog tags and they were not looking like Marines, you could spot them downtown because they're walking and they'll all be in step. They can't turn it off. Like, I remember when I first graduated boot camp, you'd be walking with your buddies and it's like, no, stop. Like, like let's, we don't want to walk together. And so it looks like we're doing some sort of weird break dance, trying not to be in step because you've just spent months of everywhere you walk you have to be in step with one another. This word, keep in step with the Spirit, is the military word for marching. It, it has military connotations of being in step, which brings this whole passage alive to me. What, what he's saying is, if you're in Christ, you have these two roommates that hate each other, stop following after the one, follow after the other. Get in step with the Spirit. I remember during Hell Week, it's a different sort of in step, but we would carry boats on our heads that were like just terrible. Um, We'd all be bald on the top of our heads from the boat slamming our heads. And so if you were in step, the seven guys, the boat would be super smooth. But if one guy was out of step, it would cause the boat to like bonk around up there and I'll never forget, I'm friends with him. To, like, we're, we're friends. We're super, we're friends. We text on a regular basis. But I got a buddy that was under that boat with me. 
I got so mad on the last day of Hell Week because he wasn't keeping in step. And we were all like getting our heads slammed. And I remember like being on this demo pit road. We're literally about to be secured from Hell Week. And I'm screaming at him like, why don't you just quit? You can't keep in step with the rest of us. You're thrashing it. Like you're ruining everything. And you're making our lives miserable. And you're going to be worthless in the team. So just get out of here. I was a little tired, and I probably shouldn't have said that. Like, we haven't talked about it since, but I definitely let him have it. But I do think there's a lot of truth. If you're not in step with the Spirit and you're in step with your flesh, life is going to be hard on you. And there's going to be pain. There's going to be conviction. But if we are living by the Spirit, let us Get in step with the Spirit. We need to figure out how to be in step with him throughout our days. Uh, Verse 26 here, he's going to address the flesh, which I think ties into the next section, but it says, um, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so he's pleading for humility amongst the ranks of those who follow Christ He's pleading for being other-focused in our lives. And so what do we do with this, just as we wrap up here? The commands we see, we need to walk by the Spirit, which I think it looks different. Like, I'm not going to give a formula and go into legalism for what that looks like for you. But I can tell you in my own life, I know that I can stay in step with the Spirit of God There are days when I simply, like when I wake up, and it's like just in my heart, it's like, thank you, God, for today. How can I align myself? Um, I've been doing the Bible reading plan, and I do it on the phone, which, you know, like the, the great blessing and evil of these phones that we have, you know, is like I've conditioned myself now when I open the phone, like just doing the Bible reading plan where I can just like pop it up and read a couple things and... I think somehow when we wake up, if we can just like click the disposition of our heart, like I say, like, here I am, Lord, use me. Like, whatever it is that we can do that we can put God into our little brains before we get our day going so that hopefully we're aware of what he's doing in our lives that day so that we could get into step with him. We need to be led by the Spirit, and I think it begins with that. Like, here I am, Lord. Lead me. Show me the way. Help me. My flesh is strong. I need your help. We need to crucify our flesh daily. Jesus in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The stakes are high with these two roommates that we have within us. We need to feed the one and kill the other. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we are saved by grace, that we live uh, 
through this gift that you've given us. We thank you that it's not conditional on what we have done. It's based on what Jesus has done on the cross, and it's offered to us as a gift. And so, Lord, we pray for those who maybe have not received this gift, that you would help them to turn their lives to you and to believe. Father, for those of us who have believed and now have uh, these two warriors within us fighting for control of our lives, we pray, Father, that you would help us to truly yield our life to the, lives to the Spirit, that we would surrender to him, that we would allow him to lead us moment by moment, day by day. We acknowledge that our flesh is strong and we need help to crucify it. Um, we thank you, Lord. Uh, for your leading, your guiding, your conviction. We thank you for these hard pa- uh, passages that really challenge us if we're in the flesh of our allegiance, whether we truly have believed in you or not. And so, Father, we, we pray uh, that you would help us just to stay in alignment with you. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.